throughout life, we are surrounded by numbers. Like our age, what we weigh, our IQ, number of likes on a photo, how many friends we have, how much money we make. These are all powerful numbers to us because they inspire questions like, am I worth more than these numbers? Do these numbers define who I am? We live in a culture where our value, worth, and importance are directly linked to these numbers. The issue with these numbers is we get our identity from them, when we should be getting our identity from God. These numbers do hold some value in our lives, but numbers should not determine who we are because God defines us. You are more than the number on the scale. Your net worth should not establish your self-worth. To find ourselves in Christ, we must let go of our insignificant numbers. Only then will we be able to receive our true identity. Well, don't let the cartoon aspect of that video deceive you. That is an incredibly powerful truth that so many times the numbers ascribe to our lives to find our worth, to find our identity. And we're going to look at the challenge of living in light of that uh, this morning. So let's just start off this morning. Let's just uh, make things as awkwardly as possible just for fun, all right? Does that sound like fun to you guys? Good, me too, all right? Here's what I want you to do this morning to start off. I want you to turn and tell the person next to you something that you absolutely love about yourself. Ready? Go. Crickets. Now, some of you are really quick. You're like, actually, I got three things, right? Let me just rattle those off for you. Well, why, why, why is that so hard to do? Uh, why is that so difficult? What's going on that causes us to struggle like that? And uh, matter of fact, if I just flipped the tables and said, hey, turn and tell the person next to you something you hate about yourself. Some of you said, hey, hold on a minute. I keep a list in my pocket just in case I'm having too good of a day to remind myself, here's all the things wrong with me. Here's all the things inadequate about me. Here's all the things I wish I could change if I had a magic wand. And so what's going on that we're real quick to say, here's Here's the things I'm not good at, the things I don't like, but we're almost uh, impossible to share things that we like or we love about ourselves. What's going on in the heart of us, and what is God, how does God speak to that? So we're going to look at that this morning. So let me invite you to take your Bibles, your tablets, or your phones, whatever you have, and turn with me to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. One of my favorite attributes uh, about Scripture is this. It doesn't whitewash over the flaws and struggles of some of its primary characters. You know, if I was writing the Bible, I would make everyone's life incredible, everyone's life was beautiful, everyone's life just turned out perfect with the hopes that when people read through the Scripture and saw these people's lives, they would be convinced that following after God would produce this wonderful life, and so therefore you should pursue God as well. But God, in His infinite wisdom, knew that ordinary people like you and I could never identify with people like that. People had no struggles and no shortcomings and no insecurities and no inadequacies because that's not the real world that you and I live in and try to navigate. And so God speaks clearly about the failures and hang-ups and shortcomings of some of its primary principal figures in the scriptures. Uh, some of my favorite verses that remind us of those truths is James chapter 5, verse 17. says that Elijah was a man just like us. 
So the guy who called down fire, he's outnumbered 851, and the fire came down and licked up all the water, right? That's what the scripture says. The Bible says in James 5, he was a guy just like you and I, ordinary guy with hang-ups and shortcomings. As a matter of fact, after that event, we know he's an ordinary guy with struggles because he goes off and he comes so depressed that he gets suicidal. So he's a guy just like you and I. Uh, the Bible says this about uh, the, uh, Peter and John in Acts chapter 4, verse 13. I love this. They were ordinary, unschooled men. And ordinary people like you and I have struggles and, and hang-ups and all those things. And so that should increase our confidence in the reliability of Scripture. It's not giving you a perfect picture. It's giving you an honest people of real people with real problems searching for real hope in God. As a matter of fact, uh, when you think of the Scriptures, this this laundry list of all these ordinary people with hang-ups and inadequacies and insecurities and shortcomings just like you and I. Think of this list. Abraham was, was considered too old for what God had called him to do. Joseph was abused and neglected and rejected by his family. Job went bankrupt. Gideon was afraid. Samson was a womanizer. Rahab was a prostitute. The Samaritan woman had been divorced multiple times. Jeremiah was too young. Uh, Jacob was a cheater. David was a murderer. Jonah ran from God. Uh, Peter denied Christ three times. Martha worried about everything. Zacchaeus was small and money hungry. The disciples fell asleep while praying. And Paul was a Pharisee who persecuted Christians before becoming one. And so even though we can quickly rattle off that list of people in the Bible who are strugglers and sinners uh, just like you and I, uh, we struggle with the idea that God could use us and all of our inadequacies for something significant for him and for his glory. And so this morning, I want to speak into that. And so in the final message in our spring cleaning series, we've talked about getting rid of gossip and we've talked about getting rid of envy last week. And so for the final message, I want to look at a season in the life of Moses here in Exodus 3 and 4, and talk about getting rid of insecurity, all right? Exodus chapter 3, uh, we'll start off this morning looking at verses 7 uh, down through verse 14 this morning. Verse 7, And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. So I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up uh, from a land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now, therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I've also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. So God's having a conversation with Moses, and he says, hey, listen, the oppression's going on there under Egyptians, and so Moses, I'm going to tap you to be the deliverer here, right? So, uh, so he says that in verse 10, and here's how Moses responds in verse 11. He says, but Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And so he said, God answers, I'll certainly be with you. This shall be a sign to you that I've sent you. When you've brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on the mountain. Issue settled, right? Moses is feeling insecure, inadequate. God says, hey, don't worry about it. I'll be with you. I'm going to send you. Totally fine. Issue settled, right? Not exactly. Verse 13, then Moses said to God, indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say to me, what's his name? What shall I say to them? Still not feeling confident. Verse 14, and God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Clearly, Moses is dealing with some feelings of inadequacy. 
God, this is an incredible assignment, and there's lots of people out there. You could find better leaders, better speakers, better communicators. But who am I, Lord, and why would you send me? And, hey, I'm going to be with you, but what if they don't believe me when I get there? And so there's all these feelings of inadequacy and insecurity, and most of us can identify with that. And if you're here and you're like, I've never felt insecure, I've never battled insecurity, let me just make you feel insecure right now. No one likes you if that's true, all right? Because the rest of us in this room, me included, we've struggled with that. We know what it's like to be given an assignment or to be in an environment where they just feel like, I'm not good enough, I can't do it, I'm not skilled. All those things, that's exactly what Moses is wrestling with here. And so this morning, here's the deal with insecurity. It is a complex issue. And the roots of insecurity are often interwoven in our heart. And so sometimes we're often better experiencing insecurity than we are in defining it. And because we can't define it, we can't get a handle on it. And we can't let God speak into it because we're not exactly sure what's even going on when we're battling insecurity. And so... There's a lot of discussion about insecurity. Is it a, is, is it a sin? Is it a weight? Uh, Hebrews talks about laying aside the sins and the weights that so easily entangle us. Those are two separate things. Both of them slow you down in the race of faith, but they're separate things. And so sometimes insecurity can grow, certainly, into a sin. It could be a sin of total self-obsession, self-absorption. What do I look like? And what do people think of me? And how do I come across? And do they view me as successful? And all these things. Uh, it can be a sin in the sense of uh, it can grow into disappointment with God. God, if you just give me more natural abilities, God, if you just give me the opportunities they had had, I wouldn't feel insecure. God, if you just multiply and bless my efforts, God, if you just give me more charisma, whatever the case is. And so sometimes it can grow into a sin where it's actually disappointing with God. God, if you had fill in the blank, then I would not feel so insecure, inadequate, whatever the case is. So it can often grow into that. But I think for most of us, it stays at this low, nagging level where it's a weight, And sometimes weights are hard to lay aside like Hebrews talks about because here's why. When it's a sin, often it's clear in my life. People are speaking into it. The Word of God cuts open my heart, Hebrews 4.12, and exposes what's going on in my life. And so the Word of God brings conviction in partnership with the Spirit of God. So through that, I can lay aside a sin, but a weight is subtle. A weight's something I'm carrying. I don't even realize I'm carrying it. I don't even realize it's weighing me down. I may realize I have it, but I, but I justified it. It's not that big of a deal. It's not that, you know, no, not a big deal at all. And so sometimes a weight like insecurity is so hard to lay aside because we don't even realize it's in our pockets. And so that's exactly what's going on here in Moses. In his mind, he's just speaking the truth. God, there's someone better than me. God, there's someone who speaks better than me. God, there's someone, you know, all these kinds of things. And so he's struggling to lay aside the weight of insecurity. So he, here's what, you know me, if you listen to me teach, I like practical, right? So, so what I did is on this issue is I studied, I just wrote out the most practical questions that we could answer from the scriptures about how to lay aside the weight of insecurity, all right? So the first question I want to walk through is simply this. What is insecurity? Like, what are we even talking about, all right? Raise your hand if you're terribly insecure. Couldn't help myself, right? Like, nobody, somebody like, ooh, people will know, like, right? Like, that just stirs it all. It exposes it. And so sometimes uh, we we don't even challenge to admit that we struggle with it. Now, raise your hand if you've ever battled insecurity in some situation about my hand is raised, everybody's hand should be raised. If Moses were here with us, both hands would be raised, and he wasn't even Pentecostal, all right? 
So like we've all been there where a situation or experience or whatever the case is, you're just like, I'm not adequate. I'm not good enough. I, there's just this tension going on in our lives. That's exactly what's going on with Moses. Now, here's what's deceiving about this issue. For some people, they express insecurity in different kinds of ways based on their temperament, based on their values, based on how they've been brought up and what they've been conditioned to respond. In some people, insecurity looks like meekness and compliance and always assuming the blame and always apologizing, not even sure what they're apologizing for, but clearly I've been inadequate in this situation, so I just want to say I'm sorry over and over. And other people, it's just the opposite. Insecurity is uh, displayed in false bravado and defiance, never admitting that they're wrong. And so one person, insecurity moves them to avoid attention at all costs. But in some people, insecurity drives them to seek attention at all costs. And so because it's confusing on how it plays out, I think it's helpful if we could just define it in such a way that it brings some clarity. Because often uh, when we think of insecurity, it's, it's a situational fear. Like if I walked out on a three-story deck and all the boards were rotted, there should be some insecurity, right? The other day we're riding my car. My car is 14 years old. The pastor's riding with me and said, hey, I don't want to be picky, but I think your wheel's going to fall off. I said, it's totally cosmetic. We're fine. Just keep driving, all right? So in certain situations, situational fear, there's some, there's some insecurity about the situation. That's not what we're talking about. This type of insecurity that we battle and Moses is battling here in Exodus chapter 3 and 4 It is a reoccurring thing so much that we refer to it as a state of being. Uh, We talk about being insecure. We talk about people and say they're an insecure person almost as if that were some type of appendage or some birth effect that they were born with on an anatomical level, which that is not the case. And so let's offer some clarity. Let me provide you a definition. This is not inspired by God, but I think it's insightful and it will be helpful. Here's how I would define insecurity. Insecurity is the awareness of the gap between who I want to be and who I perceive myself to be. And if there's a gap in between who I want to be and who I perceive myself to be or who I feel like I need to be to certain people or in certain situations and who I actually can be, uh, that gap in between those things, that is the place where insecurity dwells and takes root in our hearts. Uh, insecurity is always mindful, always sees what is missing about one's self. And so that gap between, hey, this is what people need me to be, but this is how I, how I am, uh, there's a gap of insecurity. This is who I want to be, but this is who I perceive I actually am. There's the gap of insecurity. And whether you realize it or not, Every person in the room, me included, we have a strategy for trying to close that gap between who I think I need to be and who I actually perceive that I am. And so listen and see if some of these sound familiar for our strategies for trying to fix the gap of insecurity. Some people overcompensate uh, through arrogance. Uh, just the more macho, if I just, you know, just the more macho I am, then no one will think I'm actually insecure so I can close that gap and just convince myself that, you know, all these kind of things. So some people overcompensate through arrogance. Some people uh, try to close the gap by avoiding people in situations that expose it. Like if I just don't get around people or situations, no one will actually know that I'm battling with insecurity. So they just avoid those things. Some people think if they can improve performance, 
Like if I just grow in my skill set or just grow in my competency, I can, through hard work and effort, I can close the gap between who I need to be and who I actually think that I am. If I work harder, I can close that gap down and I'll fix insecurity by improving performance. Some people, uh, they just give up and they're just self-hatred. I'm always going to be this way. I'm always going to feel inadequate. I'm never going to measure up. So this self-hatred begins to settle and take root. And all of those are strategies for trying to deal with or compensate or close the gap between who I think I need to be or who I perceive myself to be and who I think others view that I am. That's exactly what Moses is struggling with here. In Exodus chapter 3 and verse 4, go back to chapter 3 and look down at verse 11. And here's the deal. Moses asked the most fundamental question you can ask as it relates to security. What's he say in verse 11, chapter 3? But Moses said to God, these three words, here it is. This is the key question. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Listen, that, 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 those three words there, who am I? And depending on how you answer that question, that will define whether or not there's a gap between who you uh, think you need to be or who you want to be and who you actually perceive that you are. In Moses' life, there was that gap. He said, hey, listen, God needs me to be this great deliverer, this great orator, this great communicator so that I can go in and I can talk to Pharaoh and I can be persuasive and he'll just be wowed by my communication skills. But I don't think I'm a good speaker. And so he says, who am I? And the answer for Moses, Moses to that question was this, I'll tell you who I am, I'm not good enough. I'm absolutely inadequate. I can't do what God's calling me to do. And depending on how you answer that question of identity, that defines whether or not you will wrestle and battle or lay aside the weight of insecurity over and over. Listen, here's the deal. When God said, hey Moses, listen, listen up, I'm going to put you in the game you're going to go down and you're going to talk to Pharaoh. Uh, listen, when God called Moses to that assignment, did God already know that Moses wasn't a good communicator? Did God say, hey, listen, I'm going, to, I'm going to call you there and you're going to give this speech and Pharaoh's going to be so persuaded. And then Moses go, hey, uh, listen, that's great, but God, um, you should know something first. I don't speak very well. And God said, oh, I had no idea, right? Let me tell you three things God has never said. I have no idea. That's four words, right? I have no idea. God's never said that. And so God knew. God said, hey, I'm going to providentially put you in this circumstance, and it's going to expose what's going on in your heart. And the question is this. It's not who are you. The question is who is God? And how you answer that question that Moses asked, who am I, determines whether or not you'll be able to lay aside the weight of insecurity. That's exactly where insecurity dwells, the question of who am I. And when you answer that question, there's a gap between who you want to be and who you perceive you are. There's a gap between who you think you need to be and who you actually are in your life. Who am I? That's where the insecurity lives in that Gap. Now, here's the deal. If you're there this morning, you're just saying, you know what, that, that's been the story of my life. I've never felt like I measured up. I never felt like I was good enough. I got cut from every team. I never made good grades. I never got a date. I never, let's fill in the blank. I never been promoted at work. I never just, I never, I never, I never. And so who I want to be and who I actually am, there's a huge gap in there. And so who am I? I would answer that question. I'm not good enough. If you're sitting there, listen, here's the good news about this morning. You're not alone. That some of the people God used in incredible ways in the scripture, they battled insecurity tremendously. We look at Moses' life, clearly that's what's going on here. God, I'm not good enough. Uh, think about the life of Gideon. 
God went to Gideon. He said, hey, listen, you're going to battle this army, and the odds are against you. But, but listen, Gideon, don't worry. Don't fret, because here's the deal. I'm going to give you the victory. It's already a done deal. You're totally fine. Now, you're thinking, if I'm Gideon, I just roll in there with all this swagger, right? You're like, hey, guys, I'm on the winning side. But Gideon battled insecurity. You know why we know that? Because he said, you know what, God? I'm not feeling uh, confident. I'm, 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 I'm not sure about this. I don't feel like I'm up to the task. I'm feeling inadequate. So, Lord, to help me battle my insecurity, my unbelief about this, I'm just going to put a fleece out. And, Lord, it would comfort my insecurities if you just make this fleece wet. And so God said, you know what? All right, that's fine. I'll do it. And so God did it. And Gideon came back and he said, Lord, I'm still feeling insecure about this. If you could just do it this time, but do it the reverse way. And God said, okay, totally, that's fine. And so Gideon battled insecurity. Uh, when we look at the life of Paul, uh, do you know this? Not everyone had a favorable opinion of the Apostle Paul. Scripture records that after Paul's conversion, he rolls into town and seeks to join the other disciples. And you know what they said when they saw Paul? They didn't say, great, we're glad you're on our team. We're so thrilled you're here. You know what some of them said? I'm not sure about this guy. He's got a bad past. He's got a bad reputation. Some of the people, when Paul would come to the cities, some of the people did not like Paul. Can you imagine that? I mean, that's about as far-fetched as someone not liking me. Amen? Guy who writes half the New Testament, and there are people like, you know what? I don't like you. And Paul struggled with that. You say, how do you know that? Listen to what Paul said in Galatians chapter 1, verse 10. If I were still trying to please man. In other words, if I was dominated by what people thought about me. That's what that means, still trying to please man. If I was still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. You know what he said? He said, when I was battling insecurity, I was so worried about pleasing other people that I couldn't effectively serve Christ. He battled insecurity terribly at different seasons. Think of the 12 spies. God says, hey, listen, we're going to give you the land, and it's going to be flowing with milk and honey. And, but, but listen, guys, let's just get 12 of us. Let's huddle up over here, and I want you guys to go in there. And just to be sure, I know God's already promised it, but just to be sure, guys, go into the land as spies and come back and tell us that it's okay, it's going to be fine. And, and they, so they come back, and, and what happens? Here's what they say. Uh, uh, listen, we went there, and we saw bad news. They're like giants, and we're like grasshoppers. That's what they said. In other words, we're inadequate. We don't feel confident that we can do what God has called us to do. There's a gap between who God needs us to be and who we actually perceive that we are. And we're grasshoppers, and we're not good enough, and so we're, we can't do this. Insecurity is the awareness of the gap between who I want to be and who I perceive myself to be, who I feel like I need to be and who I actually am. That gap in between is insecurity. Moses battled it, and Paul battled it, and the 12 spies battled it, and Gideon battled it, and you and I will battle it as well. So here's the second question. What are the insecurity catalysts? Like what, what drives that? Where does that come from? Finish this sentence. God wants to do great things through fill in the blank. Finish that sentence. And some of you would say, oh, you know, Pastor Chris or Pastor, you know, who, Pastor Kyle, whatever. Some of you would say, oh, I think, I think God's got an incredible plan for my kids or my, my grandkids. But here's my guess this morning. If we answer that question out loud, my guess is this. Very few people would have put their name in that blank. God wants to do great things through me. Now, 
Why is that? Where does that come from? What's going on? What's the catalyst that fuels that? That yes, God used all kinds of ordinary people with sins and struggles and hang-ups. And yes, some of the most prominent people in the Bible battled insecurity, even the great leader Moses. But I could not put my name in the blank that God would do something great with my name. I, I just can't believe that God would do that. So, so what fuels that? Let me just offer up some suggestions. Uh, one thing that fuels that uh, as a catalyst for insecurity is past sins. God would never call me to fill in the blank because in my past uh, it has been stained and this will ever be a part of my reputation. This will always be on my resume. So God could never do something great with my life in the future because I've got something awful in the past and therefore God can't use me. The best I can do is struggle. And then when I get to heaven, finally I'll have some victory and some rejoicing. But because of my past, I have a limited future in the economy of God. Now, you think Moses ever struggled with that? If you know anything about the life of Moses, you know what it was in his past? He murdered a guy. And so when God said, hey, Moses, I want you to go down and talk to Pharaoh, and I'm going to use you to deliver the people. It's going to be incredible, and, and I'm going to empower you. You think that didn't haunt his thought? Are you sure? Like, I'm going to tell them that I, the great I am has sent me, and some of those people are going to go, really? You killed a guy. You don't think that haunted him? You don't think he battled that? All the time, his past would neglect the fact that God would ever, you don't think that created some insecurity about who he needed to be to be the deliverer and who he actually perceived himself to be because of his past mistakes? I'm sure it did. And some of us will struggle that same way. Uh, some of you grew up in a, a culture of performance-based love. Like if you would have just performed better, if you would have just been better, uh, people would have loved you more deeply and more consistently, and you would have experienced love. And so somehow you never experienced the kind of love that you should have experienced. And so somehow there must be something wrong with you, right? Because if you would have just done a little better or been a little better, you would have experienced love more consistently. So that could be a catalyst. Catalyst. That's why God's love is so radical. God's love is totally not dependent or not conditioned on anything that you do. But some of you struggle with that. Past occasions of being sinned against could be a catalyst for insecurity. You must have displayed some type of weakness that gave others that permission. That lie begins to dominate your thoughts, and that can breed insecurity. What's wrong with me? Why would they think it's okay to do that to me? And so there must be something wrong with me or inadequate about me or I wasn't strong enough or those kind of things. That can fuel insecurity. And then lastly, uh, the fear of rejection or failure just dominates. Listen, that was a part of Moses' struggle. Go back to uh, chapter 4, uh, verse 1. What's he say in chapter 4, uh, verse 1? And then Moses said, But suppose they won't believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say the Lord has not appeared to you. You know what he was afraid of? Rejection. I'm going to get there, and they, I may say, hey, it's cool, guys. Listen, the great I am has sent me, but what if they reject my claim? What if they reject the statement that I make? And suppose, God, just suppose that if I get there, they say, sorry, we reject that. We don't believe that. We reject you. We're not following you. We're not listening to you. He was afraid of rejection. He was afraid of failure. Look at verse 10 in chapter 4. Then Moses said to the Lord, oh, my Lord, I'm not eloquent. Now listen, I love this part right here. Don't, don't miss this. Neither before nor since you've spoken. 
You know what he's saying there? Well, like we were talking, he said, hey, Lord, listen, before you came and talked to me, I was a terrible communicator. And you know what? Since this whole time you've been talking to me, it hasn't improved one single bit. That's what that means. Lord, both before and since you've spoken, it hasn't gotten any better. Our conversation has not helped me become a better communicator. You know what he's afraid of? Failure. I'm not good enough. Lord, I'm slow of speech. I'm slow of tongue is how that verse ends. I can't, I don't speak well. I can't do it. I'm going to fail. There's a gap, Lord, between who you need me to be and who I perceive myself. And I perceive myself as a person who's slow of speech. You need me to be the communicator. The gap in between, Lord, there's just, I can't do it. I can't do it. These experiences are often the catalysts that constantly lie to us and convince us that they are in fact proof that there is a gap between who people need you to be or who you want to be and who you actually are. Now listen, here's the good news of the gospel, that when you take the truth of the word of God and apply it to those lies, every single one of them disintegrates. Every single one of them disintegrates in the face and the power of the truth of God's word. Let me just walk you through this list. Have we sinned and sinned greatly? So talk about our past. Here's what the Bible says. In Christ, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That's the truth, no matter how you feel. Do we feel like orphans and strangers and aliens? That's the fear of rejection. In Christ, we've been adopted by God to be his children and are members of his household and heirs of all things with Christ. Despite how you feel, that's the truth of God. Do we feel like failures? Listen, in Christ, almost incredibly, every failure will ultimately work for God's good and God's glory. Romans 8 says, despite how you feel, that is the truth of God. Do we feel weak and inadequate? Times maybe we've been sinned against. In Christ, God loves to choose the weak and foolish things so much that we learn to boast in our weaknesses. Why? Because they showcase his strength. That may be how you feel. That's the truth of God's word. Do we feel insignificant and unimportant? Only love when we perform well. Listen, in Christ, we were chosen by God. John 15 says, who purposely assigned us a unique and needed function in the body, 1 Corinthians 12. You may feel that way, but the truth of God dismisses all of those things. And so you've got to decide, are you going to live out of the lies of how people and experience have made you feel, or are you going to live out of the declared truth of God's word? And based on that question, you will have an answer, who am I? And how you answer that will be the driving force of your life life. And so those are the catalysts for insecurity that the truth of God's word speaks directly to. Here's the third question. What is the heart issue behind insecurity? I understand those things can be catalysts or fertilizer to the soil, but when insecurity actually takes root in our hearts, when those catalysts have been effective and insecurity takes root in our hearts, and that weed begins to spring up and overtake our life, what's actually, what does it produce in the heart of us? Three things this morning. Number one, it produces a fear of man. Now, it's not wrong to want the favor of people. But when that grips my heart to the point where people's approval or favor or acceptance or those things uh, causes me greater concern and greater fear and greater stress than the approval and favor of God in my life, then guess what? The fear of man has taken root in your heart. The fear of man is when I live before the eyes of others and allow myself to be evaluated by man's standards. I become more concerned, more grieved, more anxious, more insecure, more feelings of inadequacy with the thought of not meeting other people's expectations than I do of disappointing God himself. That is the fear of man. One of the great examples in Scripture is uh, uh, the apostle Peter. And uh, Peter's let uh, other people's opinions control his behavior at various points. Uh, in, uh, the, the, for the Gentiles, uh, they were considered unclean. 
And so Peter has this incredible dream in Acts chapter 10, verse 11. The sheet comes down. It's got all these formerly unclean animals. And basically God gives Peter a message in a dream in Acts chapter 10 and chapter 11. He says, hey, Peter, he says, go and take the, the gospel to the Gentiles. And Peter's like, hey, Lord, those, those people are unclean. They don't deserve the gospel. And he said, hey, no longer call something unclean that I determine is clean. Go take the gospels to the Gentiles. And so Peter goes and he does that. And so they're sitting there, him and all these Gentile converts to Christianity, and you know one of the unclean animals, you couldn't eat pork, right? And so Peter's sitting down for a ham and beans dinner. And his old friends walk up who didn't know that God had opened up the door of the gospel to the Gentiles, and they walk up, and Peter's like, oh. And they're like, whoa, whoa, Peter, I smell ham on your breath. You know what Peter does? Does he sit back and say, oh, guys, it's cool. God spoke to me in a dream. These guys are fine. They're the gospel. No, no, Peter does. He's like, guys, I'm really sorry about this. i got to get up from our lunch table and leave. What was that? Fear of man. Insecurity about what were they going to think about me more than what God has already declared about the Gentiles. Fear of man took root uh, in his life. And when the favor or disfavor with man is more important than favor or disfavor with God, here's the deal. Insecurity is always going to show up. Let me tell you why. If you're listening, say amen. When the fear of man takes root and getting their approval is more important than the approval of God, insecurity is always the outcome. Here's why. Man's standards of approval and acceptance are always changing. What used to be moral uh, is no longer considered moral. What used to be immoral is certainly no longer considered moral. Listen, have you, not known, have you ever come to that point, that realization, where you just realize that, that what's culturally acceptable is passing you by? You know how you recognize that most often? If you're a dad like me, at some point in time, you've walked out of the house to take your kids somewhere, and here's what they've said. Are you going to wear that? He says, as a matter of fact, for the glory of God, I'm going to wear these dark socks and these sandals. Get in the car. Right? They're like, that's fine. Just don't get out. And you say, not only am I getting out, I'm going to come around to your door and announce to everyone, you've arrived. Get in the car. Standards of fashion change. Standards of morality change in culture. Standards of what's acceptable, what's not acceptable. Standard of what's, you know, what you should hide, what should listen. All those things change. So here's the deal. Man's standard, man's measurement is always changing. And so if my desire is to get favor in the eyes of man, here's the deal. Insecurity is what's going to happen. Why? Because I can't always meet changing standards. But here's the good news about God. God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. God's standard has never changed. It's always holiness. And when I'm striving to please him, guess what? I don't have to worry about insecurity because he never changes. He's immutable. He's always right. He's always just. He's always holy. He's always righteousness. And when I put my approval in his hands, I can rest. When I put it in the hands of culture that changes around me, guess what? I can't keep up. So insecurity will happen. What happens? Fear of man takes root in my heart and it produces insecurity. What else takes root in my heart? Confidence in the flesh. Now, this seems the opposite, because insecure people, we feel like, lack confidence, right? Listen, but here's the deal. If you have too much confidence in the flesh, you're going to have insecurity show up in your life. Let me walk you through how. Because here's why. Whatever assignment God calls you to, he does so to display his strength, not yours. God never once looks at your life and says, hey, I'm going to call you this assignment so everyone can see how great you really are. Whenever God calls you to an assignment, it's to display his strength, not yours. It's for his glory, not ours. 
But what happens is we get too much confidence in the flesh and go, I'm good enough, I can do this. But here's the problem with that. Romans chapter 7, verse 18 says this, For I know that in me, that is my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me. In other words, I want to, but listen to what he says. But how to perform what is good, I do not find. So what does he mean by that statement? Here's what he's saying. That if you trust in your flesh and your confidence, and I'm good enough, I'm, I can do this, I'm gifted, I'm skilled, I'm educated. Here's what he says. You will fail. He says your flesh will let you down. That's exactly what it does. But how to perform what is good, I do not find. And when your flesh fails, not if, but when your flesh fails you and you're not good enough, then insecurity will whisper into your ear and say, don't ever try that again. You're not good enough. You've never been good enough. You never will be good enough because your flesh has let you down. Listen. If we could be good enough, if it were all in our strength, we wouldn't need the Lord's indwelling power through the Holy Spirit. I remember when I came here, uh, I struggled with this. This insecurity, this, this overconfidence in the flesh and uh, gifts and skills and all the, those kind of things. And I began to wonder, I just began to ask this question, can I do this? This place is a mess told you this before, I called a friend of mine, I said, hey, this church has called me, I'm interviewing there. I said, have you ever seen a church in this situation? He said, yes, I have. And I said, oh, good. He said, you let me finish, but never one that stayed open. That's what he said. I had people, I had friends call me and say, don't do it, don't go there. No one can turn that around. And I began to wrestle with this idea, am I good enough? Am I skilled enough? All those things, I, I struggle with insecurity. Listen, I had never rescued the Titanic before. The two guys before me both had doctorate degrees. All I had was the Bible and a whole lot of handsome. Like, I mean a lot of handsome, amen? Like a lot. We had no money. I had no track. I'd led turn around in small churches and mid-sized churches, never a big church. I couldn't look back at my resume and go, you can do this, you've done this before. I couldn't say that. And I began to have all these questions. Am I good enough? Is who I perceive myself to be, is there a gap between who they need me to be at that church? And here's the thought that I came to. I said, Lord, if you don't do something there, we're in trouble. Can I just remind you that in every situation, even the easy ones, Lord, if you don't do something here, we're in trouble. Because otherwise, all my confidence is in the flesh. And you know what Romans 7 says about the flesh? It will fail. And in every scenario in your life, Lord, if you don't do something here, we're in trouble. And anything less than that attitude is confidence in the flesh. And confidence in the flesh will fail. Romans 7 says you don't have to wonder. It is going to happen. And when it does, you will experience insecurity. And in your mind, that failure will ring out over and haunt you and say, they needed you to be this, but you couldn't be that. And so that insecurity begins to settle in. Confidence in the flesh leads to insecurity. Here's the third thing that takes root in our hearts and insecurity is this. It's an identity crisis. That's the key question. Where does our sense of identity come from? We answer this question not from our intellect. Oh, I know what I am in Christ. I know who God's declaring me to be. Listen, we answer that question from our hearts. 
What, what do we really love on the heart level? What do we really want? What do we really believe offers us hope? Because insecurity tells us that our identity is uncertain or threatened, even though the Bible says in Christ, my position is secure. And so identity crisis, we don't know who we are in Christ, causes that. So, so how do we win the battle against insecurity? Let me, let me wrap this up. How do we win the battle? First thing is this, draw your confidence from God's ability to work through you. Listen, let me tell you a little secret this morning. It's really not about you. It's not about what you have and what your gifts are and what your experience is and what you're great at and what you're not great at. And listen, it's not about you at all. At the root of insecurity is a lack of belief in you, right? I can't do it. I'm not good enough. Moses said, I don't speak well. I'm slow of speech. All those kinds. Of, but listen, let me ask you a question. At what point did we think that it was supposed to be about ourselves? Listen to Psalm 25. No one who trusts in you, Lord, will ever be disgraced. But disgrace comes to those who try to deceive others. Show me the right path, O Lord. Point out the road for me to follow. Lead me by your truth and teach me, for you are the God who saves. All day long I put my hope in you. This is where biblical Christianity and humanistic psychology uh, part ways. The Bible never tells us to raise our self-esteem. Not once. Matter of fact, the Bible says don't esteem yourself higher than other people. It says just the opposite. And so psychology teaches that the cure for insecurity is to love yourself more and trust yourself more, to look in the mirror and repeat over and over, you're good enough, you're smart enough, and doggone it, people like you until you finally believe it. But the gospel says this, you're not good enough, but he's great. You're not strong enough, but he is. You're not smart enough, but he is. The truth of the gospel impacts people who say, you know what? It's not about me. It's never been about me. It's not about how strong I am, how gifted I am. It's about the Lord working through me that in my inadequacies, in my insecurities, in my shortcomings, that then through those things, God displays his power. And then he gets all the credit. And so the things that you're most insecure about are actually the things that are the greatest potential for God to display his power in your life and to get glory through it. That's the truth that God is trying to drive home to Moses over and over and over. Go back and look at chapter 3. We're almost done, I promise. Chapter 3. Verse 11 through verse 14. But Moses said to God, who am I? I know who I perceive myself to be, but I don't think who you, I'm who you need me to be, Lord. Who am I? That I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. So God said, I'll be with you. Like, case settled, right? No. Verse 13. Then, second question, Moses comes back. Indeed, when I come there and the children of Israel say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me. They say to me, what's his name? What shall I say? God says, all right, I get it. You're insecure. You're feeling inadequate. So God says, I am that, uh, that I am. Uh, thus you say to them, I am has sent me to you. Uh, case closed, right? No. Go to chapter 4, verse 1. Then Moses answered and said, but suppose they'll not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say, the Lord has not appeared to you. I'm still feeling insecure, Lord. So the Lord said to him, what's that in your hand? And he said, it's a rod, it's a stick. And so then God says, hey, throw it down and turn to a snake and all these kind of cool things. And, and listen, Moses, when they see all these miracles, they're going to know that I sent you. So case closed, right? No. Go back to verse 10. Then Moses said to the Lord, oh, my Lord, I'm not eloquent, neither before since you've spoken to your servant, but I'm slow of speech and slow of tongue. Now, here's the deal. Before I read verse 11, let me tell you, if I were writing the Bible and I were God, let me tell you how verse 11 would, would read at this point in the exchange. 
you know what, Moses? You're right. You're a loser. I'll find someone else, right? Aren't you glad God's not like me? The Lord said to him, who's made man's mouth? Who makes the mute, the deaf, the singing, the blind? Have not I said the Lord? Here's what God was saying to Moses over. He said, listen, Moses, I know all those things about you. I knew those about you. I know you killed a guy. I know you can't talk. You know, listen, here's the deal. If you can throw a stick down, it turns to a snake. Who needs to talk well, right? God says, I knew all those things. And despite all of those inadequacies and insecurities, you're the person who's going to deliver the children of Israel out of Egypt. And Moses says, I can't even talk right. And God says, Moses, get the picture. It's not about you. It's about what I can do through your life. You see, the answer for insecurity is not getting better. It's not growing, it's not improving, it's not achieving, it's not getting acceptance, it's not all those things. It's coming to the place and saying, I'm so inadequate, but God is so able. I am so inadequate, but God is so able. And so what's, what's the last thing? Here it is, and I'll, just, I'll wrap up, we're out of time. The last thing growing insecurity is put your ladder against the right wall. What does that mean? Some of you have to decide once and for all, that the eyes of man measuring you do not carry the same weight as the eyes of God. Some of you need to decide once and for all that the weight of what Jesus has declared about you when you're in him carries more weight than the voices of your past. Some of you are trying to climb the ladder out of that low feeling of insecurity. You're going to get to the top and realize there's nothing there. And so you have to decide once and for all, which voice carries more weight in my life, the voices from my past or the voice of Jesus and who he's declared me to be in him? You see, the end of insecurity is not achievement, it's not affirmation, it's not acceptance, it's not improvement. The end of insecurity is Jesus. And until you can rest in him and who he's declared you to be in him, you'll never lay aside the weight of insecurity. But once you do, once you do, it will change your life. Would you bow your heads with me this morning?